You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to The Corbett Report podcast. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan, here on the 17th day of May 2013. Welcome to episode 267 of The Corbett Report, The Meaning of Life. Well, dear viewers and listeners, the meaning of life is... Come on, you didn't really expect I was going to provide you with some sort of trite, simplistic summation of such an ambitious idea in a humble little podcast like this, did you? And if you did, and you really expect that a media personality who you've probably never met and probably never will is going to provide such an answer for you, you might want to uh, check your basic assumptions and check where it is you're looking for life's uh, big answers from. But uh, some more humble task that I think we can set ourselves today that might be a little bit more realistic is simply to posit that there is such a thing as a concept of a meaning of life. That there is some way that we can imbue our lives with some grander meaning than simply to slake our instinctual needs as biological robots, and that there is something worthwhile in the human endeavor, and that we are uh, achieving something as a species. And this is an idea that one wouldn't think would be necessary to really elaborate on, but unfortunately, as we have pointed out here on the podcast uh, numerous times in the past, there has been a generations-old, very concerted effort through a lot of the cultural programming that we're subjected to to convince us that we are really nothing more than a cancer on this earth and that human species is really nothing to be praised. Just keep banging away. You can just keep banging away, making one useless, mediocre, not gonna invent kid after another. <laughs> no, I don't understand people like that. Say, so don't you realize after your third loser kid, you don't have the DNA to make somebody special? It's like, what are you doing? All you're doing, you're just making more in the way people just walking around, looking up at as you're trying to get down the sidewalk, you know? Even if um, the energy mix that you recommend can be uh, pursued and can be developed, you say there's still a profound problem. And the profound problem is that there are too many people living on planet Earth. Would you say that you actually welcome the idea that over the next hundred years, the world's population by one means or another will be cut dramatically? I'm afraid so. I think like, the word likely I would use is... But, but uh, my question was, do you welcome it? Oh no, of course I don't welcome it. <laughs> See, what bugs me about the whole issue of abortion is that, is that you don't have any spectrum of debate. You know what I mean? Even pro-choice people, they're, they're like apologetic. We're not pro-abortion, we're pro-choice. <laughs> we're not pro-abortion, we're pro-choice. We just don't believe the government has the right to tell us what we can or cannot do with our own bodies. We're not pro-abortion, we're pro-choice. I'm like, come on, say it. Don't walk on eggshells. <laughs> People suck, there's too many of them, and they're easier to kill when they're fetuses than when they're grown up. There, my hat is now in the political ring. What party is this? It's the party of 
uh, people suck. I am so sick of this back slap and aren't people the keenest things in the world. Wrong. You're a virus with shoes. Every mammal on this planet instinctively develops a natural equilibrium with the surrounding environment, but you humans do not. You move to an area and you multiply and multiply until every natural resource is consumed. And the only way you can survive is to spread to another area. There is another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern. Do you know what it is? A virus. Human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. You are a plague. Rural areas in every country are being overrun by an ever-growing urban sprawl. And since humans adopted agriculturalism, our population has been expanding exponentially, overcrowding the Earth. In the past hundred years alone, humans have damaged every ecosystem, preying on Earth's natural resources and disrupting her planetary cycles. Not living in balance with nature, as our ancestors did centuries ago, the human race has become a global cancer, so virulent, even Mother Earth may perish. And I think if you were an intelligent life form from another planet and you were looking at the Earth, you wouldn't see individual people. You wouldn't see housekeepers and limo drivers and stand-up comedians. You wouldn't see that. You would see mold on a sandwich. Ooh, so brave, so edgy. Wow, think of all those those free-minded people who are just so on the edge of the, the very precipice of intellectual thought that they can posit such misanthropy. Wow, they're so cool. Yes, well, unfortunately, this type of teenage angst-level thinking about how edgy and exciting it is to posit such childish ideas of how humanity really just needs to be eradicated from the Earth has really taken over society to a large extent, to the, to the extent that if you posit those ideas in the right way at the right time, uh, you will probably find the vast majority of the people agreeing with you in some way. Oh, the world is overpopulated, humans are just a terrible disease on the planet, everything's going to hell, and, uh, and basically the world would be better off without us, the universe would be better off without us. It is certainly a sign of a culture in decline that that, is the, uh, that, that idea is on the, in the ascendant. And it shouldn't really need to be stated and stressed that, indeed, humanity is something worth striving for, that worth fighting for, that the human endeavor is, is something grander than just this, uh, these uh, shells, these biological shells of, uh, of human beings that walk around in pre-programmed ways and are just useless eaters. It is self-evidently the people like the Kissingers of the world who use phrases like useless eaters who want us to take that on board for a whole host of reasons. And we could go from the very bl blasé, very mundane monetary reasons. Of course, Madison Avenue wants to make you feel inadequate and make you feel worthless so that they can sell more products to you to give your life meaning. But uh, on a grander scale and much more in, in a much more insidious fashion, of course, the would-be social controllers would love for you to basically desire your own death, or at the very least, the voluntary extinction of the human race, so that their plans for depopulation and culling of the population can be that much more easily implemented. 
But this is, of course, something that is part of a much grander project. And the question really arises, given the deep-seated way in which this idea has been implanted and is continuing to be implanted into our consciousness through all various forms and stripes, and of course, through all the cultural conditioning that we're subjected to, what is the answer to this? What is the antidote? How can we start to reconnect with that humanity which the proponents of the New World Order so desperately want to disconnect us from? And in some ways, there's really nothing for it other than to subject ourselves to what might be uncomfortable levels of, of the exact opposite. People who, whose very love of their fellow men and women exude so strongly, so so powerfully that it is almost uncomfortable to witness, and yet it is the type of raw emotion, that raw love for our fellow human beings that we do need to reflect on and we do need to, to watch and understand so that we can understand that there is something worth fighting for and that the human species is not all uh, a bunch of uh, scumbuckets that need to be eradicated from the earth. So what better person to turn to in this endeavor than... Fred Rogers. It's a very fancy machine, but, you, but you're the one who makes it go. Right. Did it take a long time to learn how? No, not really. I had other wheelchairs, and that only took... My first electric wheelchair only took me about a day to learn how to use it. Gee, that's wonderful. Jeff, you, your mom and dad must be really proud of you. I'm sure they are. Yeah. Well, I know I am. Now, uh, can you tell my friends what it is that made you need this wheelchair? Sure. Well, when I was about seven months old, I had, um, I had a tumor, and it broke the nerves to tell my hands and legs what to do. I see. And they tried to cut the tumor, but they didn't, couldn't get it, and I became handicapped. And I got a wheelchair when I was four years old. That was your first one? Mm-hmm. When you were four? Uh-huh. Do you remember that? Yeah, sort of. You must have some mighty good doctors who've been taking care uh -huh. of you. Can you tell me any of your doctor's names? Yeah, I have a pediatrician, Dr. Hansen, who works in Madison, St. Mary's Hospital. And then at UW, I have the bone doctor, Dr. Breed, who takes care of the bones, I guess, because he's a bone so. doctor. Uh -huh. Anyway, I had surgery earlier this summer because I have pain in my stomach called autonomic dysreflexia. And I just... What was that Autonomic word? dysreflexia. I'm not exactly sure what it means. But you sure can say it. Yeah. Anyway, so I had surgery done just recently mm -hmm. to try and cut this finger because I'm holding my urine in. Mm-hmm. So, well, you have a lot of things going on when you're... This just shows you have a lot of things happening to you when you're handicapped most of the time. 
But, and sometimes uh, it happens when you're not handicapped. Of course. But you're able to talk about those things. Yeah. So well and help other people. Mm -hmm. Who might have the same kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know that song that I sometimes sing called It's You I Like? Mm-hmm. I'd like to sing that to you and with you. Okay, okay? sure. It's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair. But it's you I like. The way you are right now. The way down deep inside you. Not the things that hide you. Not your fancy chair. That's just beside you. But it's you I like. Every part of you. Your skin, your eyes, your feeling. Whether old or new. I hope that you'll remember. Even when. You're feeling blue That it's you I like It's you yourself It's you It's you I like And it is you I like, Jim Thanks And there must be times when you do feel blue Uh-huh What do you do during those times? Depends. Sometimes do you make up stories? Yeah. Or read? Yeah. Or play? I know that's the way I did when I was a little boy. Had all kinds of things that did I would... Did it help? It did help. Yeah. Does it help you? Yeah. We have to all discover our own ways, don't we? Mm-hmm. Of doing things when we're feeling blue. Mm-hmm. I'm not feeling blue right now, though. Me neither. <laughs> I'm so glad that you came today. Thanks. Thank you. And I hope you'll come back to visit again. Okay. Will you? Yeah. And will you give your mom and dad my best? Sure. Because they are sure great people. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye-bye, Jeff. I'll watch you as you go. Welcome, Jeffrey Erlinger. It is... Hey. Oh, I'm so glad to see you. Oh, thank you for coming. My pleasure. Oh. It is... What a surprise. I love you. It's, a, it's an honor to be here tonight, to be part of your proud moment, this proud moment. You know, when, when you tell people that it's you I, it's you I like, you, we know that you really mean it. And tonight, I want to let you know that on behalf of millions of children and grown-ups, it is you that I like.
quote me as I say my few words? Absolutely. Okay. Well, to Jeff Erlinger and all of the uh, all of the wonderful neighbors who have grown up with our neighborhood. This, this was, of course, completely unexpected, and what a, what a wonderful gift. And I thank the Academy for allowing this to happen. Uh, Jeff and I haven't been together for a while. We met when he was, I think, four years old. Five. Five. Such good neighbors. Well, this is what I wanted to tell you before I knew that I'd have this great gift tonight. Fame is a four-letter word. And like tape or zoom or face or pain or life or love, what ultimately matters is what we do with it. I feel that those of us in television are chosen to be servants. It doesn't matter what our particular job. We are chosen to help meet the deeper needs of those who watch and listen, day and night. The conductor of the orchestra at the Hollywood Bowl grew up in a family that had little interest in music, but he often tells people he found his early inspiration from the fine musicians on television. Last month, a 13-year-old boy abducted an 8-year-old girl. And when people ask him why, he said he learned about it on TV. Something different to try, he said. Life's cheap. What does it matter? Well, life isn't cheap. It's the greatest mystery of any millennium. And television needs to do all it can to broadcast that to show and tell what the good in life is all about. But how do we make goodness attractive? By doing whatever we can to bring courage to those whose lives move near our own. By treating our neighbor at least as well as we treat ourselves. And allowing that to inform everything that we produce. Who in your life has been such a servant to you? Who has helped you love the good that grows within you? Let's just take 10 seconds to think of some of those people who have loved us and wanted what was best for us in life. Those who have encouraged us to become who we are tonight. Just 10 seconds of silence. I'll watch the time. No matter where they are, either here or in heaven, Imagine how pleased those people must be to know that you thought of them right now. We all have only one life to live on earth, 
and through television, we have the choice of encouraging others to demean this life or to cherish it in creative, imaginative ways. On behalf of all of us at Family Communications and the Public Broadcasting Service, I thank you for all the good that you do in this unique enterprise and for wanting our neighborhood to be a part of this celebration tonight. Thank you very much. some pretty powerful and uh, in some ways uncomfortable stuff to watch, but anyone who can watch that raw display of human sympathy and compassion and not be profoundly affected by it probably needs to check themselves for psychopathy, or at the very least for that culturally conditioned psychopathy which was once the purview of the angsty teenagers, but unfortunately is holding more and more of the population in its sway as we are basically uh, being conditioned into prolonged in fact, lifelong adolescence in this age of infantilization. Well, here in the Corporate Report, we do not talk down to you, and we are not attempting to suppress your human spirit. We are attempting to set it free. And again, the question is, why is it so unsettling and uncomfortable to watch someone who has such an incredibly powerful display of compassion for other human beings? It must be because it does point to that deficiency within ourselves that, that uh, we have become so jaded, so cynical, so hardened that we have lost that basic human compassion, which should be the driving force behind everything that we're doing. Because at the end of the day, what is the, the, the connecting principle of this new world order system that we're facing? All the economic ills and the geopolitical ills and the philosophical and social ills that we face and confront here week after week after week. What is the bedrock underlying principle which unites all of that? It is a, a detest, uh, an absolute detestation for humanity, a, 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 a desire to eradicate the world of the human spirit and uh, what it means to be humans. And of course, that is directed by a sick, psychopathic elite, would-be elite at the top, who really do desire our enslavement and ultimate eradication. And unfortunately, as students of, of military strategy know from Sun Tzu onwards, um, the most effective way to combat an enemy is to make them desire to lose the fight, to, to give up the will to fight. If you can affect that in an enemy population, then you have won the battle by default. And that is exactly what all this propaganda, this teenage angsty propaganda about, oh, it's so cool to hate humanity and to wish your own, basically your own death is really aiming at at the end of the day. It's that same ideology which drives uh, people like Kissinger to call us useless eaters and to basically uh, wish that we can all be used as dumb animals for the slaughter like the military servicemen are used by the, the political puppets who are commandeering them. Well, where is all this heading and why are we cogitating on this today? Well, I assume that probably a lot of you in the crowd will know by now that I have recently uh, had the experience of becoming a father. And obviously this plays heavily into my mindset, into my perception of the world and why it is that I do what I do anyway. And while I cannot provide each of you out there with an answer to the meaning of life, I can at the very least 
give you an answer to my, my own question of what is the meaning of my life. And I can tell you that he is sleeping right now in the other room. And uh, for someone who has never had that experience of holding their child in their arms for the first time, there's really no way to put that into words. And for those who have experienced it, I think you know what I'm talking about. But this is why I do what I do. It is for the future of humanity as a whole, and of course, the only way that I can relate to that in the flesh and blood is through my own flesh and blood, the future of, of myself uh, manifested in my son. And it shames me to my core, the world that he is growing up in and the world that I'm handing over to him. And that is what drives and motivates me to try to make this a better place and to try to hopefully um, leave something of, uh, of the human spirit uh, left on this planet so that there is something worth fighting for when he uh, assumes his adult stage of life. Now, this is something that, again, is probably too big to really articulate here, and it's in, you know, almost impossible to put it into words, but, well, I've tried to do something of the sort, and for those of you watching the video, you can see my cute little notebook that I bought on the day that my son was born, a journal that I'm keeping of just my thoughts, feelings, hopes, dreams, and ambitions for my son as we go through the first weeks of his life and first months of his life uh, together. And this is something that um, obviously is personal, and I'll be sharing with him uh, directly when he comes of age. I'll, I'll give him this, uh, this journal so that he uh, understands what it was that I went through as a, uh, as a parent attempting to raise a child. But, um, but I did share a little bit of this. I did share one of these entries with the, uh, the subscribers to, to my newsletter in last week's uh, subscriber-only newsletter. And so today I would like to share that with all of you out there um, just to give you an insight into what's going through my heart and my head in this, uh, in this time right now as, as I'm experiencing the, uh, the, the threshold of a completely new stage in my life. And I want to share that with you guys out there because I think this is important to what it is that I'm doing and why it is that I'm doing it. So allow me to read a little bit from this journal that I'm keeping here. Dear son, never in my life have I spent so much time watching the wind rustle the leaves in the trees. But this is precisely what I find myself doing every day now since I discovered that you love falling asleep in my arms cradled in my tented-up legs as I sit on the futon on the tatami floor. I don't dare move a muscle while you doze off for fear of starting, starting, startling you or sending you into a crying fit. So there I sit, utterly motionless, holding you in my arms, with nothing in the world to do but wait while you become relaxed, your eyes drooping shut, your breaths becoming slower and shallower, then into light sleep, your eyes darting back and forth beneath your closed lids, and finally, deep sleep, so I can put you down in your bed. I feel like I should be the one teaching you things about the world. I am your dad, after all. But so far, you've been the one teaching me. How to comfort a crying baby. How to change your diapers. How to bathe you. How to track your feeding times and your bowel movements in a journal while your mother nurses you. How to hold you until you drift off to sleep. How to appreciate the exquisite, subtle beauty of a gentle spring wind whispering through the leaves of the neighbor's tree. For once in my life, just appreciating the peace and quiet without a podcast to listen to or a website to browse or any of the other million and one distractions in my, that, of our modern world, taking me out of the stillness of that moment. Do you know I have never in my life truly just taken the time to appreciate a moment like that? Thank you, son, for giving me that opportunity. 
I've learned other things as well, surprising things. I always thought that flesh and blood was just an expression, but it's true. We are of one flesh, and the bond I feel is stronger and more real than I could ever have imagined. When you are fed, changed, and happy, I feel your contentment. When you cry out in hunger, I sense that hunger in my own stomach. When your mother nurses you, I pour myself some water after pouring a glass for her, our thirst becoming one. That look of total relaxation on your face when we slip into your when you slip into your when we slip you into your warm bath has infected me. I find myself taking the time to appreciate the warmth of a morning shower that I barely even noticed before. Oh, there are things that I'll be able to teach you. Little things. How to tie your shoes, how to catch a baseball, how to add and subtract, multiply and divide. Big things too, of course. The big truths about finance and politics, the predators that are attempting to prey on society and what we can do about it. Yes, of course there will be time for all of that. But for now I find that I am the student, learning by experience perhaps the most valuable lesson of all. How to raise a child. I suppose if I had anything to teach you now, here, writing these words that you are still years away from even being able to read, it would simply be this. There are things in this life that simply cannot be taught. They can only be experienced. Having a child is one of those things. No matter how much I write or how eloquently, no mere words can express that love I feel when I gaze into your eyes. That is something you will simply have to experience for yourself, son, and I hope one day you will. For now, I'm happy to spend another few minutes holding you in my arms, watching the wind in the trees. Not rushing around, not worrying about the next thing I have to get done, not distracting myself with the cares of the world. Everyone who has ever had a child tells me that the years pass by so fast. I'm going to enjoy every second on that clock I can before it ticks by. I love you, son. All right, well, uh, I think I will leave that there because I'm still at the stage where I turn into a hot, blubbering mess when I start talking about my son and the emotions that have sprung forth in becoming a father. But suffice it to say that humanity is not a cancer on this earth, and every time a baby bo is born, a piece of the new world order dies, and it is a beautiful thing. So this is what preoccupies me of late. So I uh, once again want to thank all of you for your support during my time off as I've welcomed my son into the world and as I get back on board with things at the Corbett Report. And once again, continue trying to uh, push forward with the helping to spread the understanding of the world that we're living in to try to make this world a better place for my child and maybe yours as well. And that's, I think, the most that we can do at this point, and this is the most that we can ask. And once again, I ask for your support in this endeavor. So that's going to be it for this week, and we will be back with podcasts, etc., as usual, starting next week as well. So once again, thank you all for your support. And just on a deprogramming note here before we leave, uh, next Monday would be the third Monday of the month, and thus uh, the supposedly the time for our film literature in the New World Order series. This month we were going to be examining Catcher in the Rye, but I feel like a student in every possible way right now because I have to ask for an extension because I've been too busy with my son to actually read through the novel. So we will uh, postpone the film literature New World Order to next month uh, where we will again examine Catcher in the Rye. So uh, you can look forward to that. We'll have something else coming out on Monday uh, to, uh, in the meantime though. 
So on that note, I'm going to leave it there for this week. Once again, thank you all for your support. I truly appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to talking to you again very soon. Every day and every way it's getting better and better. The Corbett Report is brought to you by The Corbett Report subscriber. A weekly newsletter featuring James Corbett's international forecaster editorial, recommended reading and viewing, discounts on Corbett Report DVDs, and once a month, a subscriber-only video. Sign up today to start receiving your copy at corbettreport.com support.